sanctuary yes and uh, those of you watching by live stream share your link with a friend and invite them along would you we are doing things a bit differently today and the reason for that is because we have a USDA farmers market to families 
food box giveaway being held here in the parking lot. So Genesis has teamed up with St. John's and a semi-truck has actually pulled into the parking lot here. It's being unloaded. $44,000 worth of food, pre-prepared boxes, 30-pound boxes, stacked on pallets, semi-truck high, refrigerated semi-truck, fresh meat, yogurt, cheese, vegetables, the whole deal. Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies. That's worth coming for. So, listen, between 2 and 4 o'clock this afternoon, you can come as you are. There's no registration. There's nothing to sign up for. Um, you just come. You pull into the parking lot. You will be directed. You'll be asked how many boxes of food you would like. There's fresh gallons of milk, and those will be added uh, to all of this, and you can drive off. So we would encourage you to be a part of that if either you have a need or you know somebody in your family that has a need, or maybe, maybe you know a neighbor or a friend that you could help, and you'll get a couple of boxes for them and be a blessing and take it to them. So in our changing things up so that as we close our service today, we can go out and help with the truck and all of that, I have changed the order of service. And what we're going to do right now, and Jeff, I think you have it there, let's go ahead and use, um, and, and it may not be a scene that's pre-scheduled, but if you, if you could, Graves to Gardens, and not the concert one, but the, but the sing-along one, if you could. And I think we have time this morning to go ahead and do that, Graves to Gardens. While he's finding that, let me just mention to you that if you have a prayer request this morning, we want you to text it to 720-878-3323. Or you can put it in the Facebook chat column, all right? Let's go.
Well, welcome to Genesis Gathering. Uh, I hardly know what to do with myself because I'm excited about both uh, sharing the Word of God with you today and this teaching. And I'm excited about being back in full service where we don't have to mask and social distance. And I'm excited about this food distribution that's going to be taking uh, place in our parking lot here. It's just massive. It's just a massive blessing. I attended one, this exact same food box giveaway, last week on Sunday from 2 to 4 up at North Metro. And I mean, you just leave just with a sense, man, I did something worthwhile today. Uh, I did something that was really biblical today. I helped people, you know. Rather than uh, bless me and my four and no more and our little group and all of that. Well, we're going to continue uh, with our uh, little mini-series called Vaccinated by Love. Everybody say it out loud. Vaccinated by love. How many of you have been vaccinated by love? Uh, see? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's trying to trap me. He's trying to get me to answer something that will make me look like a fool. No, we're not going to do that. Now, first, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you need that? <laughs> Forklift? Would you like to come get it, and that way I can show you off? So, everybody, I want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine who I met through a, a client. Actually, he's one of my clients that I do IT work for, and uh, I was working in his office, and her overheard a conversation that was decidedly Christian, and I began to dialogue with him about it. That's led to a tremendous friendship, and he's the one that's responsible for introducing us to this uh, families to, to uh, excuse me, farmers to families program. So this is Lewis, and... Um, his wife, Carol Rojas, have been coming to the church now for, oh gosh, about six weeks, and uh, we're just so appreciative of them. They love God with all their heart, and they, they, their heart beats to do this kind of stuff. So uh, thank you. They're, they're the semi-trucks in the parking lot, so they're going to go unload it right now and get all those pallets ready for us. Sorry, I had the key. No <laughs> And, uh, and did we give them the tape to, to do the, ca the caution tape? You know that's right there. You saw it. Okay, good. All right, well, honey, you're needed, so don't run off. Now, something we've been doing at the start of our, our messages each week is having a Q&A time. So I pose a question, and you give answers. So you hear, uh, we'll bring you a microphone so that what your answers can go out over the live stream. And for you that are uh, uh, viewing by live stream, text us your answer to this question, okay? Or put it in the Facebook chat. We're monitoring both, and we know better than to ask a certain person that's here this morning in the sanctuary uh, for their help in monitoring the Facebook chat. We know that that doesn't work, so we're going to leave them out of it. And, uh, but my wife is going to take over it. <laughs> I just had to throw that in there for this person. Uh, so anyway, uh, Nina, you want to come on up here? That's all right. Come on up here. You can communicate. You can communicate on camera. All right. Here's the question. We want everybody to participate. Give us. There aren't right and wrong answers. This is not that. You're not trying to be trapped. You won't be made fun of. We truly want 
feeling answers from you, either text them at the uh, phone number 720-878-3323 or put them in the Facebook chat. What do you feel is the most significant cause of unhappiness or lack of fulfillment in your life? What do you feel is the most significant cause of or excuse me, cause of unhappiness or lack of fulfillment in your life. Think about it a moment and then uh, text us your answers. And Barb, if you see anything on Facebook that I'm not seeing, let me know because I, I don't seem to be seeing a lot right now. Of course, we have half the group here in the sanctuary. <laughs> okay, so the question is, what do you feel is the most significant cause of unhappiness or lack of fulfillment in your life? And if you're here in the sanctuary and raise your hand, it's on. By with, uh, yeah, it's on. It's on. Uh, come by with the microphone and you can tell us. Or if you would prefer, you can still text me and I'll read it or put it on Facebook and I'll read it. Either way. Not getting okay. a signal. All right. What would you Not like us? Light. Yeah. What would you like us to do? I'll turn it off. Yeah, but you're not going to be able to travel with that. And I'm turning it back on. Okay. No signal. Okay. Always something. How does this happen with a group of people <laughs> who are so technologically minded? Right. It doesn't happen as much with All right. <laughs> Check one. Test. No, they had some problems this morning in first service, not particularly with this issue, but there's always little foxes, it seems. So uh, dive in there, Jeff, see if we can get this fixed. And uh, again, be texting your answers. I know that you're thinking about this, all of you out here in the sanctuary, of course, be thinking about the question. Jeff has it up on the screen, I'm sure. And uh, we already have a couple of answers that have come in. Be sure that it's not related to the reverb being off, and then you can just kill that reverb for that channel and uh, well, you can give one answer over your microphone, or I can give which is too much work that's what someone said oh too much work somebody said that uh -huh. too much work too much work is a, a source of significant unhappiness or lack of fulfillment in your life it, it, it sure can be I, I know people that are extremely busy be beyond busy and yet um, uh, they're very fulfilled, and, and I think that a lot of that has often to do with whether you're doing something you really love and are passionate about. So, okay, well, okay, I can't, another answer. we can't, um, yeah, okay, All right. we'll get to you. All right, Michael says, anger mixed with a little fear to just lay it out there. So in other words, he's just laying it out there that anger mixed with a little fear will do it. Yeah, and since your names, by the way, do come up obviously in the Facebook chat, if you're like a friend of the church or one of uh, my friends, then um, if, if you want to say something that's very heartfelt, but you'd like to remain anonymous, just go ahead and type at the beginning of the text or the chat, anonymous, okay? And uh, we'll will uh, follow that wish of yours, okay? So um, let, let me please have that back. And, uh, I was gonna, am I on? 
no, I'm going to keep this in case it starts working. So I'm going to repeat Michael's while they're getting your microphone worked out, hon. So uh, <laughs> Michael said, anger mixed with a little fear just to lay it out there. Just letting people know that that'll do it. Anger mixed with a little fear. Michael, do you want to unpack that at all for us? If so, send in a, you know, Send me up. more, send me yeah, more. Yeah, send up a follow-up. Okay, Kathy says, lack of gratitude mm. is a significant cause of unhappiness. You know, over the past couple of years that have been so difficult, and everybody posts. I mean, you don't even have to be a believer to post the need for gratitude. People put it out there all the time. The need, gratitude will change you. Gratitude will change you. And I, I had times where I was questioning that. Where I was going, well, I don't feel very changed by being. I have gratitude every day to God. And sometimes I haven't felt like it changed me, but I know it does. <laughs> I do know it does. But there were times I didn't feel that way. All right, let's see. You don't necessarily have to have the feeling. What about the happiness part? Hold it close, please, to your <laughs> mouth. Okay, hang yeah. on. Hang yeah. On. Uh, our, our cord will reach to, I think, everybody. I said here. happiness is a choice. Oh, happiness is a choice. But joy comes from the Lord. Happiness okay. is a choice. We're going to make you the preacher. <laughs> Did you say something like that a couple weeks ago, you guys? I remember a couple weeks ago there were people who were giving the good They were very, very good answers. Obviously, wonderful answer, wonderful answer. And I was going, but wait a minute. My soul, my mind, will, and emotions says... <laughs> Okay, here's another answer. Well, I don't want to just skip over that. Oh, uh, yes, so, go ahead. Sorry. So, so how many of you find that, the, that that adage, happiness is a choice, and I believe that's actually a spiritual principle because in the book of James, James said, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations and trials and tests. How many of you have found that that's easier said, easier read than done? I mean, when you are in the heat of it, when you're being overwhelmed emotionally, all you want to do is slap somebody's face or, or run, you know, go take a, or go to a hotel or move away, you know. We, we, we've been taught not to mention the word divorce, but you, you know, you know, you know you've thought it. So here, here's, what, here's, why I'm, here's why I'm looping back on that. Listen. Uh, it's okay to be messy. It's okay to be broken. And even in the midst of your deepest pain, and you hear it in your own head or somebody says it to you, you know, you just should rejoice, you know. Uh, you just need to change your attitude. Or happiness is a choice. What we want to be careful of that is, of is if we're the person giving that advice that we're not just glossing over people's feelings all right that we're that we're uh, operating in a bit maybe of pride and stiffness of neck so that we're not aware and humble and sensitive okay for the person giving the advice for the person to whom this applies to and you're being overwhelmed and you're trying, you're doing your best to choose to be happy or, you know, to be joyful, as James said. Just keep trying. 
Just keep saying those words. Go to James chapter 1 and read it and read it and read it again. Your feeling, listen to me now, your feelings are not you. Your feelings are not you. You are hidden in Christ. Christ is in you. You're seated in heavenly places with him. He knows you love him. He knows life, the life of being a human, especially on this earth, is messy and difficult and not always like we want it to be. So just don't give up and know that he's got his arms around you and that your feelings are not the true you. Okay, we have a bunch more answers. Come over closer for the camera, please. I was letting you talk. Give me just a moment. All right. Who's in charge here? Okay, he is. Well, you oh. are, clearly. <laughs> okay, so another answer. So um, I'm going to go back to Michael's because he, he responded to your second question. Okay. All right, because his first answer was anger mixed with a little fear, just to lay it out here. And then he says, well, sometimes you just got to own it, LOL. So he's just owning that sometimes he's got anger mixed with a little fear. That's what he's trying to say. And, and I agree, Michael. Thank you. Thank you for the follow-up. I, I, I think that's a very mature answer. I think it also um, overlaps with what I just said about us, life being messy, being human being messy. And uh, it, it, we stay in the fight, don't we? Okay. And so Anna says... The, and Fran said, ditto to Anna's comment, Fran said, uh, Anna says, the lack of knowing my purpose in life. Mm. That's frustrating. Makes you feel like, what am I doing? Yeah. Well, you have all sorts of self-esteem issues hard. that pop up, don't they? Yeah. Like, what am I worth? Who cares? What am I doing? Anything that matters? Now, you know, if we would get into our right mind, we would go, well, that can't be true. We do do things that matter. But somehow those questions still pop into your brain. They still pop into my brain, and I've been at this for 60-some-odd, I didn't say how many years. <laughs> I almost did. <laughs> I was going to give the wrong number, I think. I don't know whose age I was about to give, but anyway. Yeah, that, that, can, make you, that can make you wonder about happiness. What, where's that question? Our question's gone. Um, okay, Carol. Hi, Carol. Jeff, so every so watching. often, if you would throw that question back up in the picture-in-picture. Oh, 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 Michael also said, by the way, in response to your question, can you unpack it? He said, how much time you got? <laughs> <laughs> okay. That sounds like you. <laughs> Carol says, um, for me, the most significant cause of unhappiness or lack of fulfillment is my, in my life is caused by disconnect. Like disconnection from people disconnection from what you're doing. You're going to have to give me a little more on that. All of the above. Oh, well, here's interesting. Fran then says lack of connection with siblings as we get older hmm. causes dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. A lot of heartbreak there often, isn't there? Hey, Christina, good to see you here. My unhappiness is my declining health and then not being Big able one. to be the mother I know I am. Really big one. Because of, of course, family issues with uh, where the children are and mm -hmm. all of those things that happen sometimes in families. I know, uh, if, there's, if you want to comment on that, that's fine. I, I know I have more over here. No, in, okay. keep, keep going. All right. Matt, too much, and hi, Matt and Lisa. 
We miss them here this morning, live and in person, but they're going to be here later for the food giveaway. Too much going on, and I can't slow down to enjoy the things around me. Also, trying to please everyone. Big one. Big one. You know, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a hard, uh, Big one, some, yeah. a fine line between I'm giving and serving versus trying to please everyone. Because there is a giving and there is a serving. Yeah. But sometimes you're just doing it out of guilt, I guess, right? Is that what trying to please everyone is? Is some sort of guilt? Maybe. And oh, somebody back there is going, yes, 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 guilt. Somebody who knows that, Rob. I think it's based on a, a number of things. <clears throat> Insecurity, shame, uh, pride, sort of a reverse pride. You're, you see something, someone you admire, and so I want to be like that. And so we get out of our lane, out of our gifting, Ooh. and we try to become like them, which is really, really hard on us, right? So. Yeah. Lisa says, and this goes along with some things that I know a couple people already said, is um, not accomplishing things mm. or keeping up with my to-do list, mm. the house being unorganized, needing to take care of bills, errands, chores, etc. So having too much to do and not the time to do it. Good answers, huh? Well, they all hit home, don't they? Yeah. Anybody, do you see any other answers on Facebook that I'm not seeing yet, Barb? Okay. Anybody else have anything out there or in here that you want to add? Thank you, everybody, for participating. Well, in part two of our little mini-series, Vaccinated by Love, I've subtitled it Others. Others. And here's the big idea. So much of the unhappiness and disappointment and lack of meaningful purpose in our lives comes from being self-centered. Loving others, being other-centered is the vaccination against the disease of being a sour, unfulfilled victim of life. Now, again, I've already said it's not fair. I don't believe it's godly for any of us as um, ones who would offer advice to sweep, sweep things under the carpet and pretend like, well, if you just get, you know, if you just had more faith, you know, you just need to follow the Word of God. That's a, that's a shameful answer, actually, I believe. And it's not faith-filled. But I know in my own life that much of the things over which I am either unhappy or I lack fulfillment in are corrected as I give, as I love. And, and, and I find that this kind of loving is a vaccination against being sour, bitter, unhappy. Things aren't going my way. My expectations weren't met. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 has been uh, part of the text for this series. 
For love covers a multitude of sins. Now, you know there are times when love does not cover sin. Love covers a multitude of sin, but love doesn't cover all sin. And an example of that would be sexual abuse or child or spousal abuse or other kinds of heinous abuse or injustices. Those need to be repeated. Those need to be brought out to the light. And so Peter isn't talking about covering over sin and not being responsible for things like that, especially the, the higher the level of sinfulness of or abuse of humanity, the higher the level of being destructive to another human being, the higher it rises to the level of needing to be repeated, at least in a safe place, to where it can be exposed to the light. You know, this word cover, it's a very interesting word, and I want to delve into it just a little bit more than we did last week. The idea of covering sin is really about covering you and me. When he says that love will cover a multitude of sin, he's not talking about somebody else's. Did you notice how you started thinking about other people whose lives really need to be covered by mercy? (laughs) Could you name a few where, man, do they need mercy? Do they need their sin covered? You know what this is talking about is you and I need to step into a new understanding and revelation of how to cover our own hearts, our own thinking, so that we don't become the one who is unloving. Now watch this. Proverbs chapter 10. I love this verse. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12. But love draws a veil over every insult and finds a way to make it disappear. Wow. What life is in that verse? That when I am insulted, I have an opportunity. I have a choice, as Kathy said. I I can make a choice right then to find some way, to find a veil, to draw out and cover over and make that sin, that offense, disappear. John Parsons, a Hebrew teacher, said, when we love others, we lose sight of that which leads us into accusation. There's something about love that vaccinates you. There's something about a loving attitude that will help you cover even in the midst of being overwhelmed and maybe even targeted. You've been targeted by words. You've been targeted by unloving comments and gestures and actions. Love goes out and tries to find a veil to cover. Love goes out and says, you know what? I'm going to continue to live and operate and speak love so that I'll lose sight of the offense. It's not that the offense doesn't matter. It's not that the abuse is okay. It's that I need to lose sight of that and not let it rule my life. How often does an offense or what somebody else has said or done rule our thoughts, 
rule our actions. And so when the proverb says here, love covers over a multitude of sins, he's not talking about other people. He's talking about me. He's talking about the action I need to take to put things in perspective and choose to walk in love regardless and lose sight. Lose sight. Don't let that thing become an altar. Ooh. Do not let what somebody else thinks about you become an altar in your mind. Do not let what is going on politically or socially or at your place of business with other employees become an altar in your mind. If you do, you'll start worshiping at it. And what you worship, you become like. Paul said in Romans chapter 1. What we worship, we become like. So, I introduced an idea last week called a new concept that will change the world. We find it in John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus said, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Is it possible that we are called by Jesus to lay our lives down, not just for the lovely, those we agree with, those who think like we do, vote like we do, live like we do, worship like we do? Can you imagine laying your life down? I was thinking while I was rehearsing some of this in my thoughts, I was driving my my car and turned off the radio and started to just meditate on my, my message. And as I did, this thought came to me. In relationship to the words of Jesus, that there's no greater love than to lay your life down, I started thinking, well, who would I lay my life down for? Who would you lay down your life for? And there's a really good chance, probably 90 to 95%, of everybody that you can think of and roll through your mind is either a friend, a family member, someone you're close to, or maybe a child who can't fend for themselves. Let me ask you a question because this was the follow-up of the Holy Spirit in my mind. Would you do it for a homeless person? Would you do it for somebody whose lifestyle was not like your own? Would you do it for somebody who voted for a candidate that you did not vote for? Could you lay your life down for somebody so unlike you, so unlikely, so unloving? Could you also lay your life down for them? In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Peter writes, In worship, you will find a genuine fondness for others. At the heart of everything that faith holds is the agape love of God. You can't say that you are living by or walking in faith unless you are also living by this kind of love, the love that would lay your life down for someone else and even somebody not like you. Francois, the author of The Mirror 
translation of the Bible, writes regarding that verse. He says, worship and devotion includes esteeming people and honoring friendship. True worship is to touch somebody's life with the same devotion and care that you would touch Jesus himself, even if the other person seems like an unlikely candidate. But we have a problem. We have a problem when it comes to this kind of love. The carnal mind, our religious mind, often organizes our life according to the principle of domination. It's actually scary for me at this time in my life to reflect on the years of dogma and emulation where the goal of my faith was domination. I'm so glad to be on the other side and I'm working hard to get rid of that thing. What do I mean? <clears throat> Webster's defines domination as supremacy or preeminence over another, exercise or mastery or ruling power, exercise of a preponderant influence or governing authority. In other words, I'm always in charge. I always have the right answer. And if you differ from me, if you disagree with me, I'm going to call you out on it. And I'm going to make sure you understand who's got to be right here. My religion is right. Where I go to church is where God really manifests his presence. I mean, God puts up with those other churches, but over at my church where we worship, I mean, God comes down there. You, you, you need to get over here where the presence of God is, and then you'd get healed. You'd get healed if you came over here. Oh, I have such choice words right now for that attitude, but the problem is I used to be like that. I used to think that way. I used to worship that way. I used to believe those kind of tenets. So we do have a problem, and that's that our religious mind wants to fashion our lifestyle after this principle of domination. And it is scary for us when we stop and we think how many things in our life we manage and we arrange based on this, this principle of domination. And, and another word I'll use, triumphalism. What do I mean by triumphalism? The attitude that one religious creed is superior to all others. It's a smug or boastful pride in the success or dominance of our ideology over somebody else's. Have you ever been in a group of people where somebody, maybe yourself, you were sharing a bit of your life, maybe a testimony of something good that God had done, and then somebody in the group had to one-up you and share an even greater testimony, an even more powerful miracle that God did for them. And all of a sudden, a little bit of the air goes out of your balloon. And, and then in the group, they keep sharing, you know, and this doesn't have to be a Bible study. You could be standing around the water cooler at work. Somebody else says something great about their weekend and what they experienced. And the same individual has to share something even more triumphal, even greater 
It was even man. Stardust floated out of the ventilation system. People got gold teeth. Wow, and I was just relieved of a headache when they prayed for me. (laughs) I didn't get a gold tooth. It's called triumphalism. And society tells us that real power and real meaning is achieved by being dominant. And yet Jesus taught and the gospel shows us that real power and real meaning is discovered and exercised by love. Incessant preoccupation with one's triumphalist views, which is different from hope, by the way, prevents us from caring deeply from being other people-centered. I'm not talking about hope. Hope is a confident expectation. And hope is what faith gives substance to. If you don't have any hope, faith doesn't have something to give substance to. You need hope. But your hope is in Christ. Your hope is in His Word. Your hope is in His faithfulness, not yours. I'm talking about what is really a very human thing and trait where you feel you always have to be dominant. You always have to be the best, have the best, do the best, have the best ideas. You go to the best church. The miracles there are beyond everybody else's. How many of you have heard of Azusa Street in California? Sure. How many of you have heard of the Azusa Street Revival? Okay, sure. All right. So for those of you that have not, Azusa Street is an actual street in California. It was in somewhat, at the time, early 1900s, somewhat of the business district at that time. And an evangelist came in by the name of, let me get his name, William Seymour. He came in to hold meetings in that very area on Azusa Street. And the power of God broke out and the revival got extended past the scheduled time for him to be there and the Holy Spirit just started coming and pouring out and lives got changed and miracles were happening and I mean big-time verifiable miracles. People were being baptized in the power of God and they were speaking in tongues and all kinds. This was the beginning of the charismatic movement here in America. It's called the Azusa Street Revival. The beginning of the charismatic movement. I want you to listen to what Pastor Seymour William Seymour said at very early on at the beginning of this revival, and I quote, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it all up, is just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it is simply a counterfeit. I couldn't agree more. I didn't know he said that. I didn't care that he had said that. I do now. It's very important now. Because I've done that, been there with all those things of triumphalism and 
being dominant and domineering and all of that. And you know what? It doesn't satisfy. Because the thing that brings you to the party is the thing you got to keep going in order to stay. And sometimes the party goes south. And sometimes people in the party get sick or betray or leave or decide to go elsewhere to a different Azusa Street Revival or whatever. It changes. And in fact, God never intended that the Azusa Street Revival go on continuously forever. It needed to change. It needed to die out and the next move and wave of God come. And I wonder if some of us are right in the middle of a wave change. And it's hard. And it's frustrating. And it even makes you angry because it's not the way it used to be. This isn't how I remember it. So... I want this to stick in your mind, so I tried to find a a good way of expressing it and saying it. I want to tell you just briefly and give you a couple of verses on the love style of being other-centered. Not the lifestyle of being other-centered, the love style of being other-centered. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 12, I'll read it, verse 9 through 11. Love must be sincere. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Outdo yourselves in honoring one another. Do not let your zeal subside. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I say to you that significance is found in a willingness to give away measures of our own life to help provision somebody else's. That's what this food giveaway is today in the parking lot is all about. We are giving away a measure of something else to someone else to help provision their life. I was thinking about this. How often throughout my day is there an opportunity for me to do something, to give something, to often it's just say something, or as easy and as simple as smiling at somebody, or holding the door for somebody when You get there first and they're walking up. Hold the door for them. You can't imagine how something that simple could absolutely change somebody's day and communicate to them that God loves them. A simple little thing. God loves you. But it requires of me to take something of mine and provision it and give it away. Any thought or action which diminishes somebody else, any thought or action which diminishes another is foreign to God's character. He just doesn't think that way. So if you are saying something, if you are doing something, if you are driving in a certain way on the highway, if on Facebook... You are posting things that diminish another. That is not God's character. Here is verse 10 
from the Holman Christian Study Bible. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. What would it be like if our day began and ended with us constantly throughout our day doing our best to outdo one another in showing honor to each other? Showing just simple respect and honor. And notice that word family. Show family affection. What kind of affection? Family affection. Now, some of you might be from a family that's very broken, and affection isn't a term that you'd use to describe your family relationships, and I understand that. But you know what? You have a new family through Jesus Christ and your heavenly Father and the body, the church of Jesus, which you might not have heretofore had good experiences with. And a lot of it has to do with this very principle of domination and triumphalism. And I'm hoping today that the Holy Spirit brings you into a whole new sense of what being a family member is really like as part of God's family. Because the affection that comes from that, I can't tell you. You know, I introduced to you all a few minutes ago Luis Rojas, somebody that I just met at work, a client. I'm working in his office running wire for his phone and computer system. And I overhear him on the phone. He's walked off. He's on a cordless phone, cell phone. I hear him talking using Christian ease and language that nobody would use unless they were a passionate Christ follower. And I questioned him afterwards. And a relationship started. Do you know in the few short weeks that we have had together, something has happened. I've been bonded to his heart. He's been bonded to mine. And we really don't even know each other that well. All right, we've had some meals together. They've been in my home, I've been in theirs, but once each. But it's not a life. I, I, each of you in this room I know better than I know Lewis, and I've, I've done things with, and we've been together, and so forth. But something's happened. I, I can't describe it except to say it's supernatural. It's what God does when you open yourself up to God's family. And out of that comes something beyond myself as an ability to honor. I don't have to dominate. I don't have to be triumphal. I can esteem you better than myself. I can lift you up. I don't have to one-up in a conversation. I can simply be quiet and say, wow, Jack, that's amazing. How good is God? Hallelujah. That's an awesome, would you mind sharing it with our, our Thursday evening guys gathering? See? Our goal isn't to one-up or to dominate or be triumphal. Our goal is to esteem others, to honor others, to outdo one another. It's the vaccination that will absolutely keep you from a sour, bitter life of a victim when you give in measures 
to facilitate somebody else's blessing. He says it again this way in the Passion Translation, verse 10. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor for one another. I'm taken by the words of Viktor Frankl. He's a psychiatrist, author, and Holocaust survivor. He said this, Everything can be taken from man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms... What is it? To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. Paul experienced this when he was put into jail for his faith and for preaching the gospel. With a certain end of death, he asked for some paper, some papyrus, he asked for an ink pen and well, inkwell. And he sat in a cold, empty cell of a jail as a criminal and a prisoner, the Apostle Paul. And he wrote books of the New Testament. And in Philippians, he wrote these words. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Imagine at the end of your life, you've done these crusades, you've seen miracles, you've brought hundreds, maybe thousands of people to the Lord. Mighty, mighty ministry. He saw Jesus personally. And you're sitting in a jail cell for your faith. And yet, the one freedom that you and I really do have, the last human freedom that you and I can always exercise, no matter what your circumstances or how bad they are, is that one freedom to choose how you are going to think, to choose in that moment the attitude you're going to have about your circumstances. And Paul chooses, and he picks up his pen and he starts writing, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. How many of you have ever heard of Diedrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, well, I'm going to introduce you to one of the greatest theologians, authors, and writers of his time. He lived during the Holocaust. Again, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German philosopher and theologian. He was not Jewish, but he hid Jewish individuals. And he wrote against the Nazi movement. His life was taken from him at the very young age of about 30. So he didn't even barely got out of his 20s, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And yet, Diedrich's write, writings, Diedrich's books and writings are the de facto standard of every Bible college in the world. But in evangelical America, absolutely. They're, they're right there. Everybody studies Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Now listen, listen to what he said. 
Where Jesus is, there is God's love. You mean when Jesus was hanging on a cross, dying? There was God's love. Even on a cross, there was God's love. God is most God at the cross of Jesus, where he and his power is paradoxically revealed in weakness, humility, forgiveness, mercy, and suffering, suffering solidarity with humankind. May I ask you as we close our time, for whom and in what way is your life being poured out as a self-giving, sacrificial love, the cruciform love of God? I've always viewed the Trinity as God the Father, God the Son under Him, and then the Holy Spirit, right? The three, and always in a hierarchical structure. God's in charge, <laughs> right? And then there's the Son who's obedient and died for us. And then there's the Holy Spirit who, well, they had to find somebody to stick around after Jesus left so that, you know, we could learn the Bible, right? <laughs> but it's all a hierarchical structure. And nothing could be further from the truth of Scripture in describing the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a word that does, though. It's the Greek word perichoresis, which means divine dance. It's a picture of being in a circle in ongoing, constant, never-ending, cruciform love, self-sacrificial, laying your life down in love for somebody else. You mean God lays his life down for Jesus? Yeah. The Holy Spirit lays his life down for God? Yeah. Jesus lays his life down for the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And what that helped me to understand, and I never knew this, I never voiced this, I never studied it quite this way, God died for you and me. That wasn't like God in heaven and then Jesus was on earth and Jesus died for us and then they made an arrangement with the Holy Spirit to stick around while Jesus went back. We don't have three gods. How's my theology so far? We, we don't have a three-headed monster here. We don't serve three gods. There is, yea, O Israel, our God is one God. There is one God. <laughs> God died for me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died in my place. Are you living in a set of circumstances right now? Are you related to somebody right now? Are you going through something right now where you've been rising up saying, I'm going to dominate this, I'm going to triumph over this, I'm going to get the victory over this, this isn't God, this isn't right, I'm going to do something, I'm going to change this. But it's gotten worse. <laughs> I wonder what would happen if we gave up. I wonder what would happen if we just laid that at the feet of the cross and said, Jesus, you died for this. God, you died for this. We can't do better than that. 
So I take my hands off of it. And God, would you show me today somebody whose life I can come alongside and bless and help. And keep in mind, that might be as simple as a smile, a firm handshake, a text message. I don't know how many times over the past several weeks I've been driving in my car, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to admit it, I text and drive. <laughs> but here's what I do. I've got one of these smartphones. If you have a dumb phone, you need to buy a smartphone, okay? There's dumb phones and there's smartphones. Now, mine's a smartphone. In fact, I don't even have to pick it up. I can leave it over here. And I just say, hey, Siri, text Jack Randolph. And Siri responds and says, what would you like to say to Jack? And I can't tell you how many times I've just said, hey, Jack, just checking on you. Wanted you to know I love you. <laughs> Jack is here. <laughs> Somebody did that to me the other day. Somebody I love dearly and hadn't heard from for a long time. And, and it kind of seems sometimes like it's just distant and they don't really care and I don't really have, you know, I don't want to push myself. And it just it's one of those kind of relationships where you know, you just kind of have to let it unfold. And all of a sudden, I got a text. Hey, how are you? What's going on? I was just thinking about you. I lit up. I mean, I lit up. I texted back right away. Wow. <laughs> you like me. You really like me. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, don't change everything that's wrong. Don't make it all better. Rather, make me more aware of how present you are in the middle of it all. And cause me to pull that veil over those things that offend me. So that removed from my sight are any of those bastard altars that I've been worshiping at. Bring me into a new hour of doing for others, being for others, laying my life down for others. And I ask this for everybody listening to me, everyone who will listen to this in weeks to come. May the power of the Holy Spirit make this alive and real to you in the depths of your being. 
the cruciform love of God, simply called others. Others. Vaccinate us, Father, with a love for others. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. Those of you on live stream, we're going to sign off at this time. Thank you for being a part. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to you so that we can continue with a couple of things here in uh, the sanctuary as we prepare now for a tremendous afternoon of uh, food distribution. If you live in the area, come on. Come on by. We're meeting at 1.30 for a time of instruction, and at 2 o'clock, you're going to see the cars pulling in. And uh, it's so much fun. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.